Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, channel pros around the globe. Welcome to episode 28 of the Channel Journeys podcast, sponsored by my company, Channel Journeys Consulting. This is Rob Spee. I'm your host, founder of Channel Journeys, and I'm helping SaaS companies build the right channel strategies to scale their businesses faster. A key element of any channel strategy is picking the right types of partners. As you're going to hear, today's guest, Jeff Ponce, made a very bold move when he founded his master agent company 16 years ago. Jeff and his co-founder bet the farm on managed service providers when all the other master agents were working with telco agents. You're going to hear how the MSP channel is transforming, how Jeff's company Datatel has been successful in leveraging the MSP channel throughout this transformation, and find out what you can do too. Before we get started on today's podcast, just want to make one special announcement, and that is in just one week, next Wednesday, July 17th, I'll be doing a webinar with Kenneth Fox, the CEO of Channel Mechanics, and we'll be talking about incentive models for the changing partner ecosystem. It's going to be a great webinar. You can find a link to register on my website in the show notes. Now let's get on to Jeff Ponce. We've got a great conversation, so let's get going. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. It is morning there, I believe. And welcome to Channel Journeys. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Rob. Good morning. It is morning there, right? Where are you calling from? Sacramento, California. So yes, it is morning. Sacramento. Is that where you grew up? No, I grew up in Northern California. I've never lived more than four-hour drive from where I grew up. So I grew up right on the North Coast of California, you know, gorgeous Redwood country, the rugged Pacific. It was a great place to grow up. Beautiful. Well, that's awesome country out there. You're not too far from Tahoe. Correct. I'm an hour and a half to Tahoe, about two hours to San Francisco because of traffic, hour to the Napa Valley. So I am very nicely located. Excellent. Well, let's start, Jeff, with what you're doing now. What is your current mission? Well, I have multiple companies, but I own a master agency by the name of Datatail Solutions. And we have supported MSPs for the last 16 years since we started. Obviously, not too many people were using the term MSP, but you know, you know the ill, VAR, MSP, right. whatever, whatever it was. And so when we started the company, my partner Daniel Langton and I, myself, 16 years ago, we realized there was already plenty of master agents in the space, especially in California. You know, you had Intelsys, WTG, had some uh, Sandler partners. There was a lot of big guys here already. And so we decided to support a market that was not being supported at all at the time, which was the, the technology side of the ledger. Mm-hmm. And so we never actually went after to sign typical telecom agents. So that is a bit different. That was the bread and butter for the master agents at the time. Still is. It still is. It still is. And they're all signing, you know, a lot of MSPs, but they're all still having problems with, they can sign them to contracts, but they're not getting a lot of revenue as stream from a lot of MSPs because they don't, they haven't really understood the model and how to work with them. So that's an interesting point. You've been working with MSPs or what are now termed MSPs from the start. You've had a chance to crack the code. Do you want to share that? It's kind of a simple code. I don't think I'm giving away any trade secrets. <laughs> okay, good. They have a different DNA. They do. The telecom folks had a completely different DNA than, than the MSP, and both from a technical ability standpoint and just 
their thought processes, right? So I'll give you a couple of good examples, and we'll use a modern MSP, right? So MSP, you know, is a recurring revenue machine, right? They, you know, they, they go out, sign customers, and they're and they are charging a fee for that, and, and everything's on their paper. Right. So they sign up customers and, and they sell products that they're reselling, whether it's a Microsoft or a Salesforce or, or even on the hardware side, you know, Dell, Cisco, HP, and they want to control their universe. Where the telecom agent was completely just the opposite. They didn't want to control anything, right? They wanted to be that sales arm that went out there, located a customer and, and was paid for their effort. Yeah, they don't want to mess with the billing or service or anything. Right. But if you really had to look at the history of a telecom agent, the, your typical telecom agent at one point, including most MSP, or including the owners of most uh, master agents like myself, came from a carrier. You know, we came from the carrier side. And, and what were we trained on the carrier side? And not much, I will tell you. We were trained on how to open doors how to get enough information to get a customer interested and then bring in an engineer behind us who's going to do all the discovery and design and and hopefully help us close that transaction. So really, we were to be a door opener. And that was really what it was. So, I mean, you could really, there was a lot of people that when you know the economy dropped, they left and went to sell, do mortgages, right? And then they tried to come back in the market after interest rates would go up or something along those lines. So you could really be selling almost anything and being, being in the telecom business at the time. And so that was a train. train. The training was 90% sales. Mm-hmm. On the IT side, it was completely different. On, on the VAR MSP side, the training was about 90% technical. And maybe 10% sales. And, you know, you go to a webinar at a trade show on, on how to go find new customers. And those are completely different personalities, right? And so the two were so different that they didn't mesh very well together. So what we decided to do is hire really skilled engineers that could do all the heavy lifting for the MSP. And so, because even though the MSP really does not like to deal with telecom, at least, at least historically, didn't like to deal with the speeds and feeds of, of telecom, their customers still had to have it. And they still wanted to control every aspect of that customer, even though you know they, they didn't really want the, the revenue wasn't all that interesting to them at the time. They still knew, need, they need to help that customer because if they didn't help their customer, somebody else was going to. So they'd bring us in. We would do all the discovery, all the design, just like that engineer did the, for that telecom agent in mm-hmm. the past. And we we took it a step farther, also supported the implementation and make sure that the circuit got up and and was working well and and took any and took any issues that that the in customer might have had. So you were out co-selling with the MSP. Yeah, we did, but the, the MSP's customer really never knew we existed. I mean, we were definitely in the background. We did all the heavy lifting, but mm-hmm. they didn't know that we existed unless they wanted the customer to know we were there. So yeah. it was that was that was up to them. So this kind of kicks off a. Something I wanted to chat with you about, you mentioned at the start, the two different business models, the telco agent and the MSP have totally different business models and different skill sets, which is a, was a big topic of conversation, meaning the convergence of the telco agent and the MSP out at the CP Expo in Vegas, where you and I met. And oh, also, I got I want to call out a thanks to Jay McBain, who introduced us. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> but that was a big topic. There were breakout sessions on this. And then I got back home and thought about it. And I wrote an article that was posted on Channel Partners that I don't think that convergence is happening. 
because they do have such different business models and there's a role and a place for both types of business models. I'm curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting you say that. So Datatel was was built on the premise that uh, convergence was coming. Matter of fact, my, my business partner, Daniel, comes from the software development and integration side of the world. And he'd built and sold companies. And when he was talking about convergence 17 years ago before we started, I had no idea what he was talking about. And I actually had to do my own research to get where he was coming from. Everything he told me was going to happen actually has happened. But business models take a while to shift because of the knowledge base and fear, actually, uh, part of it. So so um, I would say convergence is not quite where we thought it would be at this point, but it is happening. And like the, kind of the old saying is, you know, necessity is the, is the mother of invention. We're at an inflection point now where the MSP's margins are dropping fairly rapidly because a lot of customers are going to the cloud, right? You know, and, and, and that's and, and that's not a that's not a are they going to? It's yes, they are and they have. The other end of that, the telecom agent is in trouble also because what we sell drops in price twenty percent a year. So you, you can't make a living selling the products we sell like we used to. And I'll, I'll give you a great example. You know, when I started 16 years ago, there was a service called an OC48. And that OC48 was 622 megabits. That product was $50,000 a month. So you could actually put a down payment on a house with the, with the commissions you're making on that on that product. We sold a gig service. So, you know, roughly, you know, you know, 40% more bandwidth into a data center a couple of weeks ago. And I actually had to t- do a double take on the gross revenue on, the, on that deal. It was only $622 a month to the customer. <laughs> From $50,000 for much less bandwidth. Yeah. So if you think you're going to make a living selling bandwidth by itself, you're mistaken. But you, gotta have, you have a lot of older agents that still have pretty sizable checks coming in. And so their heads are in the sand a little bit. Some have the heads in the sand a little bit because the cash flow is there and they don't really want to do anything. And I know this because I have conversations with these partners all the time. The smart ones are learning, though. The smart ones are learning how to sell other products. And the vendors are taking notice, right? The vendors are in the same boat, right? So how do they engage MSPs, you know, especially in this falling margin world? How do they captivate and, and get that MSP selling their products and grabbing their mind share just so they're willing to even get trained on those products. Right. And that's a, that's a challenge for you then as the model and business shift. It is. There's no question. So both sides have that problem. Actually, three sides have, you know, it's a three, three-legged stools. You know, the vendors have that problem. The agents have that problem. And so do the uh, MSPs. And what we're seeing a lot in the marketplace right now for two legs of that are the the vendors are starting to offer agent programs, you know? So so instead of being a reseller and having to be trained, having to have engineers get certified, they're saying, hey, here's this agent program. You don't have to do the heavy lifting. We'll do the heavy lifting. You're not going to make as much as a reseller. And quite honestly, that's really pissing off a lot of the MSPs because they're they're used to that only only our channel model, and they're not used to having to compete with the agents. And when you say vendors, Jeff, you're not referring to the carriers. You're referring more to maybe security suppliers or ISVs. Is that right? Yeah. I would say all of the above, actually, on that, Robin. And here's a good example. So one of my biggest vendors, TPX, formerly known as Telepacific, does not call themselves a carrier. Uh, they were a CLEC. They now call themselves a managed service provider or managed service network. 
they're selling the same products as an MSP. They are selling Kaseya. They're doing all the. They're selling all the desktop products. They're not managing desktops themselves, but they're doing all the monitoring products. They're selling their Microsoft stack, and they have direct sales forces that are in the hundreds and a large channel. So they're selling directly to the customer as an MSP, and also through a channel. And they they're one of your vendors. Yeah. So in a way, they're they're competing with yeah. you. They're competing with your partners. Yeah. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, they have just merged with a private equity firm, and that private equity firm is looking to buy those pieces that they don't have. I mean, they, they have their own security stack now. They have their own security center. They have large data centers. They're selling UCAS. They're selling all the same products everybody else is selling, but they have scale, right? They've got hundreds of direct salespeople, and they have a huge and very successful channel, and every single carrier is trying to do that. Well, they have to, yeah. right? Because again, that, that, that because that bandwidth has dropped so much in price. Yeah, they have to go up the stack in terms of yeah. solutions and data, moving yes. from voice to data solutions and security and everything else. Correct. So there was another article recently, I think it was Joe Panettieri wrote about MSPs are dead, long live the MSP. And yes. his argument there was they're not dead. It's just that their, their models are changing. And it's, I think it's right along the lines of the things that you're talking about, that they have to look at new technologies but do you really think they're moving away from the the msps are moving away from that resale model where they they really want that control i don't know i think it's a i think it's a hybrid model yeah. for sure I, I i don't think they're they're walking away from anything you know you know my job right is to help keep our msp partners relevant in the marketplace if i if i can't help to keep them relevant and growing there's no point to my company well, I started a software development company a few years ago specializing in on the integration side, right? Because most of these MSPs, their systems integrators are not software integrators. Mm -hmm. And if they're not relevant, I'm not relevant. So in essence, I'm an ISV. Interesting. And I had to do that to help keep them relevant because we're, we're in a cloud world. You know, not every CRM purchase is Salesforce, which everybody has, you know, built the IPs or the, the connectivity to. You know, who's going to do that, that service, right? You know, who's going to connect those? Who's going to integrate those services together? Whether it's a CRM to a UCAS platform or e-commerce to a QuickBooks, I mean, what, whatever it is, whatever that customer's ecosystem is, or they where they want it to go, somebody has to do that work. So, in essence, the MSP, I believe, and and the relevant uh, agents, they need to become business consultants. You know, they need to become mini Accenture's KPMGs in order to stay relevant in the marketplace. And you're, you mentioned you provide software integration as a service to those MSPs to help them on that journey. That is correct. And to be business consultants, don't they need domain expertise? They've got to pick a vertical. I think so. When I look at my, the, the roughly 500 partners that we support, the ones who are the most successful, the ones that are most successful are the ones who support a vertical. Mm -hmm. They have that domain expertise, just as you said, and they've done well, and they're going to continue to grow and continue to learn new applications. You know, we've got one organization we work with that turns up roughly 100 dentists a month, 100. They're small businesses, obviously. Yeah. They're probably on the UCAS side. It's five phones. 
there are CRMs that are absolute. They all they do is they specialize in in supporting dentists. There's even an ERP for hmm. dentists, and so they have a menu here, Mister Dentist. Here's what we have, and here's the solutions. You know, as we see it, you know, here's best of breed, medium. You know, you know, you want to start small and then grow from there. They know the technology. They know how to talk to a dentist. And though one dentist isn't going to make them a living, sign up a hundred a month has made them a really nice living. Yeah, that's quite a number. Then are, have they gone national? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're national. I think that's one problem that a lot of MSPs or resellers face when they first get started. And, and I faced that challenge when I started my own reseller business. And that is you think you've got to be horizontal because you can only you, you want to serve the market you can drive to. So you're you're taking any business you can get and you think, hey, if I focus on dentists, there are only 50 dentists in my market. That's just not enough to support my business. Yeah, that's correct. But it goes a little farther than just that a unique niche like that. And, you know, so Jay likes to talk about the shadow channel and, and I'm in complete agreement with him. I mean, I, you know, I have a few partners that are actually CPAs. There's a lot and CPAs have gotten heavily into the technology space on advising their customers, you know, and and they're not just advising on here, use QuickBooks because they have knowledge of QuickBooks. They're advising on other parts of the ecosystem. You know, there's people that are selling direct, you know, you know, marketing platforms that, that are going right to the marketing CEO executives. And it starts with that application, but how does that application integrate with the CRM and or ERP or, or other applications that the, the line of business applications the customers are using? So we need to be in that space so that we can support our MSPs and not just our MSPs, but our MSPs business partners. So two questions there. The first question was on the CPAs, the shadow channel. You're starting to see those as as your customers who are, I assume they prefer the agent model. Yes. Oh, absolutely. They don't want to be out there reselling, but they get a commission for selling or recommending a solution that you're offering. That is correct. Interesting. And is that a growing part of your business? Do you see more and more of those types of partners? It is. We started working with a couple fairly large CPAs probably a decade ago. And the support they were really looking for was more on the security mm-hmm. side because they were working with a lot, one in particular we worked with. They were working with a lot of customers that were either venture backed or pre IPO, and they wanted to make sure that their financial systems were secure. So it started there, and and then it morphed into other pieces of the customer's ecosystem. Interesting, yeah, because I had Taylor McDonald on from Sage Intact, and it just made sense. He's always sold through CPAs because he's selling accounting software. That, that seems pretty logical. But what you're saying is, well, now they're starting to sell security software. Absolutely. Yeah. And and branching out from there. So yeah, things are, in that regard, things are converging and merging in, in really interesting ways. What are you seeing? There's a lot of talk about MSPs and their security risk of themselves. You know, they're getting targeted by hackers who want access to all their customers. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not a security expert myself, but, you know, look, we're all vulnerable, right? If bad guys can hack into the CIA and FBI and White House, MSPs have to be yeah, vulnerable, right? Yeah, they are. It's really scary what's going on. And we, we all, which also is creating a huge number of new entrants into the security field. And there's so many different security niches. It's incredible. I hear about new ones, seems like every day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's no question. Malware's become very big. And there's, you know, there's a lot of competition in the malware space now where there only used to be a couple. What kind of jumping topics? What is your advice to the vendors who come talk to you? Or maybe you're trying to recruit them or they're trying to recruit you to get access to your channel. What, what are you telling them and, and advice you're giving them? Well, they have to have courage, first of all. 
because there's a fear, right? They're, they've been a resale model forever. You know, they, they go to the same shows that we all go to, but they always stayed away from channel partners because that was more of an agent model. You saw how big that yeah. show was this year. Right, it was the biggest I've ever seen it. So they're starting to embrace the agent model a little bit more. You know, telecoms always had a direct side and a channel. So I had I never had a fear with competing head to head with my vendors that I work with. So so I think that MSPs and uh, vendors need to get out of the mindset that they can only have one route to, mm-hmm. route to the market. But the biggest issue I see with vendors and partner, no matter what level partner it is, is there's not enough focus on the customer, the end customer. And if everybody got laser focus on the end customer, you know, from the customer to the partner to the vendor, I think we'd win a lot more. I think that the model has always been, you know, hey, sign up and, you know, we have a, you know, we have our top 10% agents and we have this long tail and the long tail is not really costing us a lot of money. So we just keep it there and we send them emails. But we don't know how, really how to engage. And I think the vendors need to do a better job really knowing their partners, having less partners, but really knowing the ones they have and then yeah. going deep with them. And that's exactly the advice I give to my clients when I'm doing a consulting project to build out a partner program or, or modernize a program. It's curious, though, that you say, and from that regard, it definitely starts with the customer. You got to think about who's surrounding the customer, who are the influencers. You're going to have different types of partners with different business models and you need different incentives. But you're saying also the partner, the MSPs, aren't customer focused enough as well? Well, I don't know. I think the, the MSP is. I don't think that the vendors are, though. I think MSP, the two most successful MSPs I see are the ones that just kill it in their local markets and the ones that went vertical. Those are the ones I think do the best. And I know some here, some local MSPs in the Sacramento area, they've done just a tremendous job. I've seen their, I've seen how they do their marketing. I've seen their scale, but 97% of MSPs are under 10 employees. And so they really struggle with that scale. And, and, you know, when you talk about marketing, you know, I'll I'll tell them they need to, if if you're not spending at least two to $5,000 a month on marketing, then, you know, your odds of growing are, are fairly slim. And do you advise them on how to get that funding? There's a lot of vendor funding out there that never gets spent. Of course, yes, um, until I'm blue in the face. But it, it's very funny, you know. And, and But, you know, in, in fairness, the cost structure, especially in California, where I live, to finding, an, uh, you know, if you need an engineer, you're, you're looking at uh, 140 grand a year, uh, you know, fully baked seat. It's a lot of money. It's a, it's a lot of revenue you have to bring on. So they start, you know, they put their money there, which is their comfort zone versus yeah. on the marketing side. The most successful ones do spend the money on the marketing, for sure. There's resources out there. I can think of some amazing marketing organizations right right now uh, that I think are underutilized that are tremendous at what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of great ones. On the MSP model, Jay McBain has also been saying lately that he's seeing a huge shift in the business model from resale business and resale margins to project-based. And he's, he's even gone as far as saying, forget about the recurring revenue. It's all about the projects, high margin projects, service projects that you're going to do. Are you seeing that at all in, in your MSP base? Yes, I am on the ISV side of my business. We've done some custom development. You know, a lot of the uh, last year, you know, we did some fairly large size IoT projects. And I've learned pretty quickly that most IoTs is still mm-hmm. really custom development. There are the people that have done a good job of packaging, you know, like the HVAC people and the, you know, the, the building automation people. They've done a good job of 
bundling and packaging a solution uh, that a customer can go buy. But most is still custom development. It takes a lot of discovery and a lot of time to build. And so I am seeing those projects, and I think over time, those will start to diminish as people build out those bundles. You know, what, again, whether it's an AI, IoT, whatever, whatever, that's going, whatever that's going to look like. Today, it is larger projects. Yeah. Well, I think that's a natural progression because it's those services start as big projects and then you learn from them. Then you find out what you can repeat. And typically that's when you start right. developing it into a service. Yes. Interesting. Well, what other trends, big trends are you seeing taking place in the channel? I think the trends are just the erosion. Because of the erosion in margins, people are looking for that next product. So, I mean, my phone's ringing up hook from vendors on a daily basis right now. And I think they sense that. So they're going out and you got a lot of new vendors in the marketplace trying to establish themselves. And I think that distribution is going to play a big role in, continue to play a big role in, in that side of the world. You know, an example would be that, you know, the big guys like Ingram Micro, Tech Data, you know, they're all building out these huge BSSs, right? So, you know, uh, Ingram in particular is, is over the course of time has invested, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in, mm-hmm. into a marketplace, you know, they, I, I believe they have as many as last time I talked to somebody at Ingram, they have 700 people working on that project. So you've got companies like Ingram, then you got yep. you know, the Pax 8s of the world. And so that seems to be where the trend is going from, from my perspective is that marketplace. But a lot of the, a lot of them are building up. Pax 8s actually the only one I see that's really launched. Everybody's talking and they're getting little bits and pieces out in a little bit. But Pax 8 is actually the only one that I've seen in the marketplace on a daily basis that, that the partners actually like. Well, I just had Pax 8 on my podcast, Ryan Walsh. Yeah, Ryan's an old friend of mine. I saw that. and I need to listen to that podcast. Yeah, it was a great conversation talking about all they're doing with Pax8 and what's so different about their cloud distribution. Where does that put you then? Do you do you need to develop a marketplace? You know, we, we have a couple different systems that we're in the process of building. We have, we have our front-end mm-hmm. sales enablement platform, which is which is kind of that marketplace. And then we're, we're also building, doing a lot of building on the on the back end of that BSS yeah. all, yeah, also, which is the uh, commission loyalty payment side. The big part of that BSS, that middle piece, which is, you know, in, in the carrier world is the billing part. We, you know, we haven't done that yet and we haven't seen the necessity. But again, it's, it's how do we right. keep our partners relevant. You know, there's if you listen to uh, both either CompTIA or Gardner, you know, they'll tell you there's somewhere between what 130 and 180,000 MSPs and VARs in, in the marketplace, and that number is dropping. You know, uh, Jay, I believe Jay mentioned that that market, you know, that 50 to 70 percent of those are looking for an exit right now. So the good news is for those folks who plan to stay in the business, the the addressable market isn't dropping. So the amount of businesses that need support are not dropping, just the number of people who want to be in the business. So I find this to be a very exciting time. So those who can automate and do a good job of automating are going to win this game. It is an exciting time. I was chatting with Carl Palachuk, had him on the program, and he talks about two things. Well, he talks about a lot of things, but two things I remember. One was he said there are a lot of new entrants, new MSPs coming in, you know, the 20-somethings coming out of school and forming their new business. He said they look a lot like what he saw 20 years ago. They're starting out almost like break-fix guys. And he's trying to guide them into developing a full-blown, you know, modern MSP shop. And then he also talks about exponential innovation and things are changing so quickly. New technologies coming on board. I'm wondering, how do you stay on top of what's happening in this era of, of innovation? Well, the one thing I think we've tried to do is stay a little bit nimble. You know, we have our own platforms, but we easily integrate to... Yeah. 
to new technologies like blockchain, right? We, we've, had, we've had our blockchain conversations. And a lot of older companies really struggle with that, with their legacy platforms and way of doing business. And, and the big distributors are you know, absolutely in there. And that's where their investment is. How can we be more nimble in that marketplace yeah. so we can support that 20-year-old? Because they're not, those folks aren't selling on a platform. They're out there saying, well, you know, whatever is hot now, we're going to learn it, but we're going to be nimble enough where we can learn mm-hmm. the next and the next and the next. And I mean, you know, me being an old telecom guy, these guys don't even want a phone on their desk. <laughs> no, who does? Right. So, so, I mean, right. Yeah. So, so they don't, they don't have a phone on their desk. So they see, you see completely different than, you know, I did back in the day. I just was amazed when <laughs> we could get screen pops, you know, onto a CRM from, from a phone. And now, I mean, platforms are getting better and better and better. And there's cloud companies, you know, there's going to be the winners and the losers. And you got a whole bunch of SaaS companies out there. And the SaaS, I mean, that's an interesting space because there's so many of them. And how do they get through the noise? Are You you mentioned your phone ringing off the hook. Are many of those vendors, are they SaaS companies? Yeah, they're, but they're mostly SaaS. Yeah. What kind of conversations are you are you having with those guys? I'm not having a lot of them right now, right? I'm, you know, we're so focused on supporting our partners we mm-hmm. have now and our development that I've kind of taken a hiatus from a new application yeah. development or developers. So, but here's how the marketplace can work, right? So, if you've got you could have you could have a new vendor new SaaS application that creates something really amazing that'd be a nice hook to, say, workforce or something like that in the marketplace that goes to the HR world. Well, how is that? And and it was developed in Norway. How does that person get to the North American market? It's very expensive, right? If you were to come over here, hire salespeople and do that, it usually doesn't work Mm -hmm. because I've seen many companies try to do that and and fail. You know, just the translations don't work. But if you have the right marketplace, you could load that application, find other vendors that they would marry well to, you know, might, might want to integrate like, like a workforce or, or a Salesforce, or, you know, you could pick an application and help them to go to market, create a, a marketing strat and sales strategy for the U S and they're, they can come here and they're going to either sink or swim without losing a fortune. Yeah. And that's a whole nother world, the whole partner developer ecosystem. Yeah. So I, I see a lot of that moving forward, but, and, but that's kind of what the, the cloud does. But, uh, one of my favorite mm-hmm. people in the world is Dina from Sazmax, and she has done, a, I think, a terrific job of bringing those application developers from the, from the back to the front. Because in general, they're not marketers and they're not salespeople. Yeah. And she's, she's marrying the two. I think she's done a terrific job at, at that. She is. And, and for the listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, I don't remember the episode number, but go back. I had Dina on the show and she talks a lot about that exact thing and what she's doing, what she's solving at SAS Max. Yeah. So that's the marketplace, right? The marketplace sells and marketing of applications that we may or may not know because they're not legacy applications that they're very nimble, small companies. And that's why, you know, it's truly the Wild West. But, the, you know, if, if, if the product is good, it's going to sell. Well, it's an interesting time, isn't it? There's so much change. It's uh, creating a huge amount of opportunity. And, and I love it. I love the challenge of learning new things and trying out new things. Yeah, well, you know, if, if you're bored in this business right now, you, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, final minutes here. I want to jump over and learn a little bit about you and your channel journey. So I got a couple questions for you. Sure. What inspired you to do what you're doing to, to get into this business that you're in? 
Yeah, you know, I didn't come into the business thinking that I wanted to be the the, the great entrepreneur. I had a corporate job a little over 16 years ago. I was a general manager, vice president for Telepacific, and I ran Las Vegas in Northern California. I had lots of employees and all the issues that go with just running you know, a, a larger group like that. And I was never home. And I have four young children, and I'd gotten to know my business partner. I've known him for 20 years now, and he's never had a job. He's always, since college, built companies, sold companies, and so is a true entrepreneur. And we start talking. I tell him about what I was doing. And he, you know, and he looked at me one day and he goes, he goes, I don't get you. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, I've never seen buddy work so hard for somebody else with no upside. <laughs> and I had to sit there and look at him for a while. And I had no comeback to that other than, yeah, I know, but I'm a dad of, you know, I'm the sole support for six people, you know, my wife and, and, and four children. But it got to a point where all I did is I listen. I you know I call my wife from the road and she'd tell me how cute one of my daughters looked in the in the play or who got on first base. You know, so I was living that life and I finally realized that I'd le- rather live under a bridge with my family than to never see them. And so I took the leap of faith and like you know it's one of those typical yeah. things. I wish I would have done it ten years before, kind of a thing, but I did. And so that kind of was my journey getting started. But listen to my business partner about convergence, about you know other business models is really what excited me right because i i knew this uh, this was going to come to an end the whole you know selling telecom and circuits and internet circuits you know the you know we used to laugh the whole it's it's a race to zero yeah. <laughs> and that was the joke well it turned out it was true <laughs> right you know and you've just got a few years you got 5g's coming out pretty soon and that's going to be very disruptive from a revenue standpoint but it's going to create pretty amazing disruption in the world. And I'm very excited about it. You know, if you think about it, without 4G, you don't have Uber or Lyft. I mean, those are incredibly disruptive companies, right? What kind of disruption is 5G going to bring? Yeah, it it will be interesting to see. Are are you familiar with Daniel Burris? He wrote The Anticipatory Organization. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating book. In fact, I'm trying to get him on the show. Yeah, that's our marketplace, right? So change is inevitable. You have to be nimble. Don't get married to a platform because that platform is going to change. You know, we talk about, you know, we're developing a blockchain right now and we've got teams, a team doing it, but what's going to be the blockchain replacement? Because it will be, there will be one. And so don't fall in love with your platform because it's going to change. No. And they're changing at a rapider, more and more rapid pace. All right. So adventure. I love adventures. How about you? Do you have anything adventurous that you've done? Most adventurous trip or anything like that? You know, my wife and I, you know, I have two sides to what I do. You know, I have a giving arm to what I do. And so my wife and I and a small group of other people started a a school in Uganda a decade ago. It started with 30 children and now there's 1,600 children. Seeing people where these children, their parents are illiterate. I mean, when it's in the schools in the jungle. And when I mean jungle, I mean (laughs) it's in the jungle jungle. And the parents are illiterate, so they don't even understand what the value of this education actually is. They live in a dictatorship. And so they just kind of go with what's thrown at them by the government. and But education spawns curious people and people that want change for the, for, the, for the better of not just themselves, but the people around them. I won't see the changes in my life, but by the time the kids that we're educating now get through school, have their own kids, and they'll know how important that education is. I think two generations from right now, you can change those type of countries, those dictator-ran yeah. countries all around the world. So to me, that's been exciting. Also working with an organization 
right now in Cambodia by the name of Agape International Missions, and they save children from sex slavery. And, and, and the work they've done is just amazing. And with the resources that, that they have, I've, I've never seen an organization run so efficiently. Well, th- those are really two admirable missions you're on. Have you been to Uganda or Cambodia? I've been to Uganda. I've been to Indonesia. I did some work after the uh, yeah. big tsunami. Remember the big tsunami in 2004? I worked on some water projects and things like that there. I have not been to Cambodia. I'm actually planning a trip right now. One of the things that they're looking at me for is because we save these children, and then they have to be counseled and educated. They need a place to live, right? So. You know, it's like like almost like a college dorm kind of a scenario, and there's no in no there's no end there. It's not like our our foster care system that says, "Well, you're 18 years old, good luck and have a good life." The kids stay there until they feel that they're ready to move on. But if you don't create a vocation for them, yeah, there's a likelihood that some of those kids are going to fall back to where they start because they don't know what else to do. And so we're looking at maybe technology, almost a very kind of a rough idea around an incubator, and so. I've got a lot of friends I'm starting conversations with right now to see that maybe if we can help help them create some you know technology as yeah. a business solution could be could, could be things as simple as fixing iPhone right I mean it doesn't have to be complex business but so anyway I'm kind of starting to brainstorm this stuff a little bit I don't have any, anything on paper but that's kind of what I'm hoping to be able to do next. If any of our listeners are interested in in helping you on any of those fronts that you mentioned, how can they reach you? Should they reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. They can email me or LinkedIn either. I'm Jeff Ponce, P-O-N-T-S. So you can find me on LinkedIn or email jponce, J-P-O-N-T-S at datatelsolutions.com. Or here's my phone number. Kind of brave of me, I realize. So if you're a vendor, please please don't call to sell me something right now. Uh, 916-825-2267. Awesome. Thank you. Well, great conversation, Jeff. Really enjoyed the, the discussion. Uh, just as a final wrap up, any call to action to our listeners? Call to action, stay relevant, you know, and even if a, an application you think is going to kind of dig into your margins a little bit, look at it, see how it might fit you. And if you're not an integrator, if you're not a software integrator, get to know one. Excellent. Well, very good. Jeff, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. All right. Talk to you soon. Great. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, it's always fun to hear what my guests do outside of the channel. Hats off to Jeff for all the volunteer work that he's doing. I want to thank him again for a great conversation on MSPs and how he's working to stay relevant with the MSPs and how he's helping MSPs stay relevant with their customers as well. As Jeff says, it's so important to stay relevant. That's something that we all need to do with our customers. You can find this and other highlights and tips in today's show notes. They're on my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ28. If you like today's show, please leave a positive rating and review. That would be great. You can leave that on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to the podcast. So next week, I'll be talking blockchain with a colleague of Jeff Ponce, and they are developing a very interesting channel solution on blockchain technology. So you don't want to miss that. I look forward to seeing you there. Until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends. And be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.